0: This morning, we're looking at Luke chapter 12, verses 15 to 21. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. If you don't have a Bible, you could find one online very easily. We're reading from the English Standard Version, ESV, Luke chapter 12, verses 15 to 21. And my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for
1: himself and is not rich toward God. Let's pray together. Oh God, we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit as we come
0: to consider this text this morning. We pray that you will help me in the preaching, help us all, including myself, in the hearing.
1: Lord, we ask that the soil of our hearts would not be impervious to the seed, but rather, Lord, that we will receive your word as seed in good soil. And that it will produce fruit in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. In preparation for
0: the annual business meeting in Toronto, which happened this past Wednesday, Pastor Chris asked me to preach both services today, this morning, and then our live stream again tonight at 6 p.m. And I've prepared two messages that are related which I hope will be profitable to us as something of a little mini-series focused on a couple of dangers to our souls as we consider how we ought to live. And tonight we'll be looking at The Danger of Living for Experiences. This morning, however, I've entitled the message The Danger of Materialism or Living for Possessions. Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, which I just read, that one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. This would be the major theme of our exploration this morning. And it's actually not really a controversial idea. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. If you conducted a survey, most people would readily agree with Jesus, that one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Very few people would openly and consciously hold the opposite view. One's life does consist in the abundance of his possessions. One would have to be entirely given over to materialism
1: and completely self-aware of the deception of sin and...
0: Realize that they fully are living for possession. And one would have to be entirely deluded to agree that one's life does consist in the abundance of his possessions. And very few people are actually in that category. Most people would readily agree with Jesus in principle. For example, if you ask them on a survey, Whether or not one's life consists in the abundance of his possessions, most people would readily agree with Jesus. No, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. However, if you look at how people actually live, you would find that a far greater percentage of people than are willing to admit it actually do in fact live as if one's life does consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so this is a relevant topic for many of you, many of us. As we explore this theme, let's unpack first what the statement means. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Then I'll argue for the truth of that statement. And then finally, we'll look at the alternative. If not in one's possessions, what does one's life consist in then? So let's begin with what it means that one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And to understand this statement correctly, we need to understand the terms themselves and what Jesus meant in using each of these terms. First, let's consider what Jesus meant by consist in. And note that Jesus says consist in rather than consist of. When the phrase consist of is used, it is referring to the ingredients which mixed together make something else. And a common example of this usage is that concrete consists of sand, stone, and cement. But on the other hand, when the phrase consist in is used, it refers to where something resides or where something may be found. And that something, is usually an abstract idea as opposed to an object. So for example, it would be grammatically unusual to say that a chair consists in the dining room. But you might say that true love, an abstract idea, consists in the commitment people make to one another in marriage. Or that beauty, an abstract idea, consists in good pieces of art. So when Jesus says that life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, he's saying that you won't find it there. That's not where life resides.
1: And what does Jesus mean by life? Let's examine that now. Jesus could be referring to biological life.
0: If that's what he meant, then the sense of his statement is that you don't necessarily find life where you find lots of stuff. And estate sales, after somebody dies, prove this point time and time again. A person dies, and the family has to dispose of the person's abundant possessions. And so the abundant possessions are there, but there is no biological life to be found. That's one takeaway from the story that Jesus tells us here on the heels of his statement. The man in this story that Jesus tells has lots of stuff, abundant possessions, but in spite of it, his life is taken from him. And so you don't necessarily find biological life where you find abundant possessions. That's not where life is found. That's not where life resides. Jesus could also be referring to quality of life. If that's what he meant, then the sense of his statement is that you don't necessarily find quality of life where you find lots of stuff. Many people think that unless you have an abundance of possessions, you're not truly living. You're biologically alive, but you haven't yet taken hold of that which is truly life. For some, you aren't really living until you're living the American dream, high on the hog. You can only really start living once you've acquired lots of stuff. And this also fits with the story that Jesus tells. It's only after the man acquires an abundance of possessions that he finally tells his soul, relax, eat, drink, be merry. Up until that point, presumably, the man in Jesus' story was chasing an abundance of possessions, convinced that once he finally got an abundance of possessions, then, and only then, he would be really living. Once he gets there, finally he tells his soul, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. So the phrase, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, could mean that biological life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Or it could mean that quality of life, real life, does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Maybe Jesus meant both. In the end, we're not forced to choose. I don't think that this is an either-or type of situation, but rather that it is a both-and type of situation. Both statements are true. Biological life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, and neither does quality
1: of life consist in the abundance of possessions. However you take it, it is true that one's life
0: does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Rich people die. Your money can only sometimes prolong your life. Like when you can afford the health care because of your abundant possessions that perhaps someone else can't afford or when you can afford a well-balanced diet that others can't, things like that. But even so, your money can only sometimes prolong your life. Other times, people with abundant possessions are killed in car accidents, or people with well-balanced diets contract cancer, or whatever else. And so in these types of ways, even people with abundant possessions die. And there is nothing that their possessions could do for them to prevent that death. And even when abundant possessions can prolong life for a while, abundant possessions cannot prolong life indefinitely. And so the teaching of Jesus proves true. Biological life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And to assess the truthfulness of the second sense of the phrase, that quality of life, real life, truly living, does not consist in the abundance of possessions, you only have to consider the fact that some rich people are unhappy to see that this is also true. If quality of life, real life, consisted in the abundance of possessions, then we would as surely find quality of life where... There is an abundance of possessions, as we would find
1: wetness in water or beauty in good art. But what do we find instead? People of means are often just as unhappy as the rest. It is no indicator
0: of happiness and quality of life to have an abundance of possessions. One may find himself estranged from his wife and his children, whom he has relegated to the periphery. Well, he has pursued his main pursuit,
1: the making of money. And he ends up very lonely, though surrounded by his stuff. Or a man may find himself
0: very discontented with last year's model of smartphone or car or whatever else. Or perhaps he's discontented even with this year's model after hoping that it was going to satisfy him in a way that His previous phone or car or whatever else did not. She is empty in what was supposed to be a fulfilling career in a major urban center. Though her schedule
1: is full, her heart is empty. Listen, chasing life, quality
0: of life, in the chasing of stuff, is like chasing a mirage in the desert. The water is always just a little further up, that water you think you see. John D. Rockefeller was an enormously wealthy man, an American in the late 1800s and early 1900s. In his heyday, it was estimated that his net worth was around 1% of the entire U.S. economy. To put that in today's terms, his net worth would be around $206 billion. By way of comparison, at present, the richest person in the world is Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, who has only around $145 billion. Rockefeller had the equivalent net worth in his day of what would be in today's terms $206 billion, dollars. $61 billion more than the richest man alive now. So safe to say, John D. Rockefeller had an abundance of possessions. And someone asked him once, how much money is enough?
1: And his now infamous answer was, just a little more. Chasing life, that which is really life really living, chasing that in the abundance
0: of stuff, the chasing of stuff, the chasing of wealth, possessions, is like chasing a mirage in the desert. The water that you
1: think you see is always just a little further up. But some might object here and say, no, that's not the way it is.
0: It's not like that. I have found it. I have attained it. I have found quality of life. That which is
1: really life. I'm really living because of the abundance of possessions that I have. And all I can say to you, if that's you, is that you're either suppressing the truth, which you know to be there
0: underneath it all, or you're like a mentally ill person who hallucinates something that is not there. Don't tell me that your house, your car, your phone, your refrigerator, your couches, tables, and chairs, your pool, your golf clubs, your TV, your iPad, your yard, your cottage, your boat, your fishing rod, your cups, your plates, and your cutlery
1: satisfy your soul. Don't try to pass that off. As an accurate assessment of your situation I'm not even going to dignify that perspective with a statement like to each his own you were made for more you were
0: meant for more you are too complex a being by God's design and fashioned in God's image to be truly satisfied with stuff with the abundance of possessions deep down you know it's true Your life does not consist in the abundance
1: of possessions any more than anyone else's life consists in the abundance of possessions. It's true what Jesus said. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions in whatever sense we take that statement. But this raises the question though, wherein does life consist?
0: After all, Finding out where in life does not consist is like finding out where your dog that ran away did not go. It helps narrow your field of search a little, but you still haven't
1: found what you're looking for. Maybe you know your dog didn't go that way, but you still don't know where he is.
0: Finding out that one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions tells us, okay, that route is closed. We're not going to find life that way. But it actually doesn't help us find out where we are going to find life. Wherein does life actually
1: consist? (laughs) But thankfully, Jesus teaches us implicitly in this passage wherein life does
0: consist. Jesus teaches us implicitly in this passage that one's life consists in being rich toward God. Look at verse 21 where a contrast is implied between, on the one hand, the covetous person who lays up treasure for himself, thinking that one's life consists in the abundance of his possessions, and on the other hand, one who is rich toward God. Jesus sets up that contrast in Luke 12, 21. And the implication is, the person who, is, who has stored up treasure for himself has not found life, or at least isn't going to find life there. But the person who is rich toward God is going to find life. That's where life consists. That's the implication of Jesus' teaching in verse 21. Back in verse 15, Jesus warned us to take care against all covetousness. If one were to do that, if one were to take care against all covetousness and reject the lie that life consists in the abundance of possessions. What would that life look like? It would look like a life that is rich toward God. Now we know that that doesn't mean that we come to God with merit in our hands to impress God with our merit or to add value to God. As we so often sing, nothing in my hands I bring. Nothing. In my hands I bring. We are destitute of anything meritorious toward God. So what does it mean, then, to be rich
1: toward God? I think the easiest way to think about it is like this. Toward is the direction you're facing. So storing up treasure for yourself, as Jesus describes the man in his story in verse 21.
0: Storing up treasure for yourself is being rich toward yourself, being rich in a self facing direction. But being rich toward God, on the other hand, is being rich in a God facing direction. If one has an abundance of possessions, and to have is not a sin,
1: if one has an abundance of possessions, who should those possessions be used for? For oneself? Or for God? To what end do we apply our possessions, however few or many
0: they may be? For our own consumption and gratification? Or for God? For His purposes, according to His will, for God's honor and glory? This is the difference between being rich toward yourself and being rich toward God. And life consists in being rich toward God, according to this section of Scripture. Be careful here that you don't make the mistake of thinking that this passage teaches us that you still got to be balling, only balling for Christ. Remember the incident in Luke 21 where Jesus watched a poor woman give the equivalent of what would be one or two dollars of today's money in worship. Whereas the rich were putting in much more. Jesus looked at where her heart was at, what direction her riches were facing.
1: Was she rich toward herself or rich toward God? You can be rich toward God without actually being rich. To be rich toward God means
0: that whatever you have is for the benefit of God, so to speak,
1: ultimately, instead of for the benefit of yourself. Not my purposes, God's. Not
0: my will, God's. Not my honor and glory,
1: God's. My money, God's. My time, God's. My skills,
0: God's. My energies, God's. My passions, God's. Everything I am facing God, towards God, for his purposes, according to his will, for his honor and glory. This is what it looks like.
1: This is what it means to be rich toward God. And this is the sort of reorientation that happens when a person is converted to Christ. Do you want to know what real, biblically defined Christianity looks like? Leave your TV on. Some real biblical Christians have TV ministries, to be sure. Pastor John MacArthur,
0: Pastor Hensworth Jonas, et cetera. However, real biblical Christians are few and far between on TV. There are a lot, a lot, a lot of frauds. Kenneth Copeland, Creflo Dollar, Joel Osteen, etc. Leave your TV off
1: if you want to know what a biblical Christian looks like. It's not the best place to search.
0: And don't search for those accruing wealth and accolades for themselves in the name of
1: Jesus. The big name, famous Christians. Again, some are genuine, but for the most part, that's not the best place to look. If you want to find real, biblically defined Christianity,
0: real biblical Christians, the best place to look is in an ordinary church where the Bible is preached, where the gospel is understood and believed. Go there and watch how people live. Where there is genuine Christianity, there is richness toward God. Life lived for God's sake instead of for the sake of individuals or even life lived for the sake of the organization. Biblical Christianity is not about you. Biblical Christianity is not about me. Biblical Christianity is not even about Covenant Reformed Baptist Church in Barbados or Covenant Baptist Church in Toronto. We don't live for ourselves. We don't live even for the church. Biblical Christianity is lived for God's sake. Biblical Christianity is lived with an orientation toward God. All that we are,
1: all of our possessions toward God. Anyone who has been truly converted to Christ understands this. And anyone who does not understand this has yet to be truly converted to Christ. The
0: Bible portrays this world as a collective of rebels and traitors to the God who formed and fashioned us. And Jesus
1: is set forth in the pages of scripture as the innocent substitute slain for us. Slain for us who deserved it. And as Jesus hung there on the cross, never was a man so destitute. His friends had abandoned him he was naked. He was thirsty. His life was ebbing away. And he was under the judicial wrath of God. Never was a man so destitute as when Christ Jesus hung alone on the cross. But at the same time, Never was a man so rich to work God. For in going to the cross, Jesus had said to his Father, not my will, but yours. At the cross, everything Jesus had and was
0: was oriented in a Godward direction. Jesus put all he had and was to work for God's purpose of reconciling lost sinners to doing God's will of bearing our
1: sin to glorifying the God of mercy even though it meant personal agony we who were not rich toward God deserved to be there in his place but there was he, rich toward God, suffering in our place. Conversion to Christ involves understanding the original design of God for man. That we be Godward in our thoughts, in our affections, in our words, in our actions.
0: Conversion to Christ Involves agreeing with God that anything less is an aberration and a grievous one at that. Conversion to Christ involves recognizing something of the extent that our triune God went to in order to pardon and fix us. And conversion to Christ
1: involves getting on board with that plan of pardoning and fixing us. By believing in the gospel, repenting of our sin, including the sin of materialism, storing up treasure for ourselves,
0: and aiming instead to be Godward in every aspect of our lives, including however many or few possessions we have.
1: Conversion to Christ involves aiming after having believed the gospel at being god in everything, at being rich toward God. Take up your cross and follow me, Jesus beckons. Whoever loses his life for Christ's sake and the gospel will find it. It is the new life which begins with the death of the old self and the old way of life which is truly life. It is that new life which renders the impending death
0: of these mortal bodies temporary. It is that new life
1: of richness toward God wrought in us by grace, which we ought to be living, in which that which is truly life consists. In richness toward God, life consists.
0: Life consists in richness toward God. Paul's words in 1 Timothy six seventeen to 19 are fitting here as we come to a conclusion. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take
1: hold of that which is truly life. Did you catch it? True life, that which is truly life, is to
0: be found in setting your hope on God and being rich in the good works
1: which he has commanded. Look at Christ on the cross with the eyes of faith. See God's design for man there. All that we are
0: in the service of God's priorities and for his glory. Repent of your sin, including the sin of materialism, which keeps us from that kind of life. And endeavor to live, henceforth,
1: a more Godward life a life rich toward God. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Rather, life consists in being rich toward God.